0: Some of the best victories are those you fight the hardest for. Let's get started. Another race for the world's greatest
1: driver, Juan Manuel Fangio. Former world champion Jim Clark leapt into the lead. That's Clark Sloters going like a bomb. And James Hunt is the world champion by just one single point. By being a racing driver, you are under risk all the time. And if you no longer go for a gap that exists, you're no longer a racing driver. And that is Michael Schumacher,
0: the, head, the world champion. To become a four-time world champion, Sebastian Vettel. Lewis Hamilton, champion of the world. That's for all the kids out there who dream the impossible. Max Verstappen, for the first time ever, is champion of the world. Oh my God! Oh my God. Max Verstappen! World Champion! Hello and welcome to episode 35 of F1 in Review, the episode in the hour where we discuss the Texan Grand Prix or the US Grand Prix, whatever you'd like to call it. I'm Tom Claiborne and I'm joined by Tristan Fancourt, a reminder that you can follow myself and Tristan individually on Twitter as well as the F1 in Review accounts, where these episodes are posted when they've, once they've gone live on River Radio and also once they've gone out via the podcast provider of your choice, be that Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever you choose yourself and um, we'll straight into The most obvious topic to start with, Red Bull have won the Constructors' Championship, a P1 and P4 finish for them, and a P2 and DNF for Ferrari was enough to crown them champions. Uh, Similar to the Drivers' Championship, really, it was more a question of when they would win, not if they would win this. Nevertheless, this is the first time they, or a non-Mercedes team, have won this championship since 2013, if you can believe this. Wow. Incredible, isn't it? Um, Tristan, your thoughts on this, about Red Bull finally breaking the Dom. Done by Mercedes for so many years.
1: Yeah, and it's back-to-back topics really on the um, on the theme of Red Bull success (laughs) because it has been uh, well, I would say a pretty, you know, unmitigated success. We we say unmitigated when it comes to disasters, but then you know, unlike Ferrari, it's been a unmitigated success. And if you asked me back at the beginning of the season or yourself Tom or even Angus who unfortunately can't be with us today who would win the constructors I think we were all saying Ferrari or if you go back to testing we were considering someone like Mercedes with their radical side pod design but there's been no getting away from the fact that although Red Bull had a rocky start they have been completely and well, utterly dominant. There were swings and, and moments throughout the season where one might I don't know, ponder the idea of Ferrari getting their act together and and we did once or twice ask the question throughout this year whether or not the momentum behind Red Bull would slow down and whether or not anyone else could get their act together. But unfortunately it just hasn't hasn't manifested. And so Red Bull has, with two fantastic drivers, and respect to them both, because Perez and Verstappen have been, I would say, on on pretty top form this year, being able to, both of them, challenge Ferraris. We've had great drives from Verstappen, such as the last Grand Prix, um, and we had uh, great drives from Perez, such as the Grand Prix before that in, in Suzuka. And both of them, I think, have worked really nicely with the team, just to, I suppose, manage themselves and not not go for any any anything particularly special, but just go for consistent wins. And I think this week's Grand Prix in, in a Circuit of the Americas in Texas, in the U.S., second time we've been to the U.S. this year, really demonstrated how Red Bull has been able to manage their season. Similarly to the season as a whole, it it started off all right, but then a bit of a rocky bit, um, specifically when Red Bull called Max Verstappen in for a a pit stop that lasted far too long. Mm. Um, And as a result, Verstappen came out behind Lewis Hamilton and was able to eventually catch back up to Lewis Hamilton and pass him having this incredible speed throughout the the circuit and you know being able to challenge a seven time world champion um with well what I thought was relative ease actually. Mm-hmm. There was a there's a fantastic um stat that Verstappen had on average over seven kilometers an hour uh faster machinery going down the down the long um back straight off circuit of the Americas, which in Formula One is a massive amount of speed. And so they have been able to pick themselves up consistently and just finish the races in a consistent first place position. Even though Charles Leclerc has, you know, been doing his best, I think, to try and, and challenge that and he and Charles has had many, many pole positions, just Max and, and Perez have been able to work with the team much better than I think anyone else um mm-hmm. in the in the sort of the top three teams perhaps and when i say work with i mean also extract the full performance out of the car i think mercedes is just down on performance and you know that's been unfortunate for them ferrari as i say is a sum a less than the sum of their parts i think actually to be honest you know it's one of those weird cases where red bull has won the season um, and ferrari completely lost it i think if you were on paper Ferrari might well have, or should have won it, but the reality is, as I say less than the sum of their parts so it's, it's really good to be able to be speaking about uh, uh, someone different from Mercedes winning the championship, we never got that last year, we had an unusual split where the world champion Max Verstappen was uh, not driving for the team that won the Constructors' Championship which was Mercedes but this time they've managed to take the double glory and, you know, I think it would have been nice if there was only one criticism. I think it would have been nice if we had had the surprise of Red Bull winning both titles closer to the end. We've still got a bit of a way to go till we get to Abu Dhabi. Um, and yet again, demonstrating why Abu Dhabi pays so much money for the final <laughs> race of the championship. They pay so much money for that. And um, every so often, I guess, it, it it, you know, pays its dividends. But... In reality, we're all expecting Mexico, Brazil, or <laughs> even Circuit of the Americas to, to, to show off who's going to be winning the, the world championship. But Tom, what do you think? Was it a um, a foregone conclusion that Red Bull were going to uh, win the Constructors' Championship? And, and if so, when did you start to think that
0: they would be able to claim the title? Well, certainly not from the start. I mean, when you look back at testing, Ferrari was so dominant, came out the traps really well there. Mercedes were an unknown package in many regards, and Red Bull were very strong. But it seemed that Ferrari could, if they really did pull it together, get out of the traps and go and win at least one of the championships. Because I remember quite vividly, really, in our sort of pre-season discussion, we were all in agreement that we wouldn't have a double dominance of both championships, i.e. Ferrari, let's say, win the drivers, and then Red Bull win the constructors or vice versa or Mercedes would get involved that type thing so the fact that Red Bull have romped home really in both championships is a testimony to them I mean the fact that they've won 15 out of 19 races so far this season Mm -hmm. is just frankly astounding and when you consider as well that if you're judging on qualifying pace they are quite obviously the second best car yeah in terms of Ferrari always seem to get the pole position with a few exceptions of course then somehow lose it when it comes to the race and of course you can go and say in some regards Ferrari lost it owing to strategy to reliability issues to a whole range of things but Red Bull were always there always ready to pounce be that if there were a mistake or if there wasn't one they had to go and do it the old fashioned way of physically overtaking uh, the various cars so credit to them really they've really deserved this and it's nice to see as well that it's been a sort of a double victory in regards that Perez is showing his word to the team. I remember last season, his form was best described as patchy. He came in, you know, did well in a few races towards the start, then tailed off, then came back again. And then particularly towards the end, he was so instrumental uh, in getting Verstappen that driver's championship. But he was never really at the races there to go and make sure they were really competitive in the constructors. Compare that last season to Bottas and Hamilton, the well-oiled machine. Even Bottas, when he was sort of, I suppose, on the decline on the way out, he was always uh, ready and willing and there to go and snatch a victory if needed uh Paris has really risen to that occasion this season and is growing into uh the Ferrari uh, going into the Red Bull team sorry improving his worth there. And it's quite ironic because I remember at the start of the season I was so confident and thinking, yep, Leclerc and signs the best driver duo any constructor has this season throughout the grid they're going to romp home at least in the constructors because they have the best drivers and oh the the car's pretty good as well that's nice but uh, I think it's one of those it's easy to say isn't it that Ferrari have lost this but mm. that would be taking away the shine from how consistent Red Bull have been because Aside from maybe a pit stop here or there, they've never really let themselves down or let the team down, really. There's never been a clear and obvious error where they've cost themselves a race win. It's always been a case of, well, at the start of Brain, for example, that was a reliability powertrain issue. Looking across here, a few second places now and again, that was uh, owing to technical issues, such as that uh, during the race, for example, not necessarily pit stops or poor strategy calls. So credit to them. Again, they've shown the dominance they had with Sebastian Vettel in this sort of late and early 2010s. The question now is, are they going to be able to replicate that moving forwards? There's the cost cap sanction that's still looming over them. We're yet to know what that is and whether that will hinder them moving forwards or whether they're able to sort of overcome the sanction in many ways that's going to be put upon them. But credit to them. As I say, as you say as well, you know, it's a shame as a spectator, as a fan, we're not going to have that dramatic inclusion, that jewel in the desert 2.0 in Abu Dhabi, really. <laughs> yeah. But, um it's one of those where you can't really be too annoyed at that because Red Bull deserve to win this championship uh, fair and square really.
1: Absolutely, but I I want to mention someone else as well because we've identified some of the the, the core components of of a great team and and that's the strategists Red Bull has been absolutely on it when it comes to um, the strategy and people like Hannah Schmitz who has been fantastic throughout the year pulled out some cracking strategy um uh strategy ideas and behind her as well there will be a team of people who unfortunately we you know we don't know um but mm. you know that the the their the strategy at Red Bull has been far far superior to Ferrari and unfortunately Ferrari just didn't know where, what him when it came to that so you know we got characters like Han Hannah Schmitz, but also the cars designer as well, and the and the engineers, you know, led by Adrian Newey. And if you if you don't know how good Adrian Newey is, then I will quickly read out some of the statistics for him. Ooh. So Newey's designs um, have won 191 Grand Prixs as of the United States uh, Grand Prix, and he is his designs have won 11 constructors championships with three different Formula One teams seven different drivers winning the drivers um, championships driving Newey's designs mm-hmm. so this is someone who's driven, who's, who's worked for Williams, McLaren and Red Bull and that cannot be you know overlooked, that yet again Adrian Newey has, has helped propel a team to success and to be clear he hasn't always had successes, no one um always does but you know it, this is a man who has, has thrown a lot of a lot of um darts at the dartboard and had apparently 11 bullseyes if you like so <laughs> red bull really does have a fantastic team behind him you know mm-hmm. and they they the character within the team now i think has got itself up to a a, a new level and i think that's going to make them very very difficult to beat going forward and of course <laughs> I know there's going to be the 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 looming cloud, dark cloud, which is this budget cap issue, but we are aware of it, and but we're not really going to talk about it until we have the facts, because no. we we've expressed before um, our concerns and our frustrations with um, the potential breaches and what we think should be done. So please go back a podcast, and you'll be able to to hear that. But we will address that when when it comes out, because so far we we uh, what we've heard is the FIA saying that they're going to put sort of what i'd like to say a plea deal to Red Bull mm. whereby they can uh, they can sort of agree to the fact that they've breached it and they'll get a lesser penalty but to be honest Tom i think that's a massive cop out from both sides either the FIA have got it right in which which case Red Bull get punished or Red Bull have got it right in which case they haven't breached it and they shouldn't get punished it, you know mm. the FIA being like well if you admit you did something wrong we'll give you a lesser penalty kind of makes it sound like that they haven't got a leg to stand on but again mm. that could just be the FIA being nice we don't this is why we don't know and um so yes, stay tuned, I guess, for our thoughts on, on that once we actually hear something. Unfortunately, it's been a while now and we have yet to. I'm almost I'm almost expecting Tom a little sign <laughs> to flash up and be like, Red Bull investigation will take place after the season. <laughs> you know, yes, yes. Yeah. But and it just cut... rumbles on and on. <laughs> oh, just make a decision. Either they have or they <laughs> haven't. But anyway, that that's you know, that's the, the dark cloud looming over all of this. But the reality is that's just happened. Fantastic, Sergio Perez, Minister of Defense. You know, challenging <laughs> people like Charles Leclerc in 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 Japan and taking that second place away from him. You know, handing Max the the drivers' championship. Perez, you know, helping Red Bull get the constructors' championship. Strategy headed up people like Hannah Schmidt Fantastic, Adrian Newey with the money and the resources behind it, doing fantastic work again and. Yes, they made a mistake at the weekend, but also the Red Bull pit crew as well delivering incredible speeds of pit stops. Yes. Imagine, Tom, you could go into a, a, a garage and get your car, your tires changed in just two point one seconds. Absolutely, in unbelievable, insane, yeah. and <laughs> these things matter. So, yeah, what do you think, Tom? Twenty twenty three, who have you got your money
0: on? Oh, well, I think Red Bull are certainly going to be up there I think the Ferrari will be there as well but I think until there's huge personnel change they're not going to be in it to win it type thing I think Mercedes will return next season in full force, they'll be above third and they'll be uh, there and not just there by default I think I think we're going to see a, a rekindling of the 2021 Championship Red Bull versus Mercedes, this time though with the new driver of George Russell uh, adding into that contest really and I think it's worth saying as well before we i suppose move on from the topic of red bull it's quite fitting as well that they won this constructors uh when unfortunately the creator of the red bull empire i suppose in many ways particularly when it comes to uh the racing departments dietrich Mateschitz has unfortunately passed away uh age 78 so our thoughts are with everyone involved with red bull everyone who knew him family and friends and the rest but um A fitting tribute that they won, uh, unfortunately, when he was, uh, uh, unfortunately, passed away this weekend. But a credit to him and a credit to what he's created, really, because I think if you go back in time to when he bought Jaguar and made the Red Bull car, there's very few who thought that they would, A, go on to win a Drivers' Championship, B, go on to win a Constructors' Championship, or even C, to go and do it many, many a time. So congratulations to all involved there. And Red Bull are really showing their quality. They're showing... I suppose, the ruthlessness that Mercedes have had for so many years in terms of they hardly make a mistake, and if they do make a mistake, it's a minor one which doesn't really have a serious impact. Like, for example, in this season, their mistakes come after they won the Drivers' Championship, and when they're on the cusp there of winning the Constructors, is credit to them and their, I suppose, high-performance environment that they create, really. And of course, there's going to be those who say, oh, but the cost cap and this, that, and the other, but you can't sort of... I suppose, look at this situation and go, these people are not talented. These people do not know how to go and execute. A, a race car creation or B a race strategy over and over and over again because it's not been even vaguely close in either championship, really. As I said in my introduction, it's been a question of when, not if, they would win both the drivers and constructors from only a few races in. So credit to them again. I think if they carry this on, we could be seeing Verstappen winning many more championships. We could even see Perez being a lot closer as well because the fact that you have two drivers very much at the front there and we had a whole episode or a large portion of it discussing how Perez could even challenge uh, Verstappen for the championship is a credit to the fact that it is no longer the Verstappen show, yes Verstappen is of course the number one driver, he is the golden boy of this team but they can create two excellent cars that can suit two different drivers and then go on and uh, win races so lessons for Ferrari to learn certainly take a few notes out of their book because boy oh boy they've got to get their act together that if they really want to have a, mount a serious challenge against a ruthless team in uh, mercedes and also a ruthless uh, team in um, red bull as well one's been missing from the fight but both will be back next season i think
1: definitely and one thing to watch going forward now that the a title of driver's champion has been taken by max verstappen if if we could just, like, thumb out um, Max Verstappen for a moment and look at second and third, Charles Leclerc mm-hmm. is only ahead of Perez by two points. Yeah. So that's going to be really down to the wire. We have some other fantastic battles going on. So if you are a bit sad that the Drivers' Champion is, has been declared already, ignore it and look at second and third because... Perez versus Leclerc could be a a really, really fun battle all the way to the end because they seem to be trading blows um, consistently. And on that as well, George Russell in uh, fourth place and Carlos Sainz in fifth place. Again, another tight battle with Lewis Hamilton only four four points behind that. So we have a a three-way fight really for, I'd say, fourth place. So we got a two-way fight for second and a three-way fight for fourth. So you know there is plenty to go on in in F one at the moment, and this stuff really does matter because second or third in F one is is you know a significant milestone for many of these up and coming drivers. Imagine if George, on his first year at Mercedes, ended up getting third place. Well, I mean it'd be insane, but you know he's only <laughs> yeah. he is only well he's only forty. Um, 47 points behind Sergio Perez so it's possible it, yeah. it, it, you know it's possible if George hangs on to fourth though and beats Sainz and Hamilton that would be insane that would be one hell of a you know an opening season for him George Russell coming out pulling his punches um, that's if he can avoid driving into people he's done that a lot this year I I, I sort of yeah. I sort of yeah I, The hmm. George stop driving into people because uh, if it was <laughs> if it was you know Lance Stroll, for example, we wouldn't be as kind. Um, no. So, yeah, let's let's hope you know that that <laughs> that particular um, part of George's season sort of comes to an end. But if he can keep it on the road, I think fourth place would be good for him. But yes, you know, Sergio Perez again is 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 now fighting Charles Leclerc for that second place, and I think Red Bull would love to have the constructors' championship and then their drivers coming first and second place. That's like Mercedes esque levels of of. Um, Dominance in the season.
0: The fact you go on to that battle there between fourth and fifth place, and as we say earlier. Ferrari, in theory at least, have the best car in terms of performance, and the fact that they could be beaten in the uh, constructors by the third best car and even the second best car, if you're looking at Perez and Eclair is quite the statement to make for both teams, both positive and negative. And that's before we get onto the constructors championship, which is all still to play for. We hinted at it earlier, but of of course, you know in prior episodes we spoke about the battle between Alpine versus McLaren, and that's before we get down to the very bottom. And as you say, there, Tristan, this really matters insofar that the the prize money you get or don't get will affect the car you're able to create next season. Because yes, there's a cost cap budget, but if you have more cash in your armory, you can pay more for driver salaries, for example, staff recruitment, all these sort of things that can really be the difference between getting fifth or sixth next season or fourth or fifth or winning certain races or getting into the points and all that sort of stuff. So keep a firm eye, really, I'd say, on the drivers and constructors because that could give us a glimpse of what's to come next season because there's no regulation change compared to, I suppose, 21 to 22. So there'll be a continuation of these rules so we can see perhaps uh, a glimpse into the future or an inkling about what's to come and who's going to be at the races and who's going to be maybe plumb last again. So looking now at the race, the Texan or US Grand Prix, whatever you like to call it, Alonso is in the news this week. He was handed a 30-second penalty by the FIA, who deemed that his car was in an unsafe condition, and Alonso then took to Instagram, I believe, to go and say, uh, after this was given to him, it is an important day for the sport, as this decision will dictate if we are going in the right direction. Now, for those who don't know this comes after a 180 mile an hour crash with lance stroll this damaged alonso's front wing this all comes after a 180 mile an hour crash with lance stroll this damaged his wing mirror and a range of other aerodynamic parts and this all despite him climbing up to p7 he did this in a severely damaged car congratulations to him well maybe not because Haas protested this uh, the fact that he was able to climb up to said P7 in a damaged car. Uh, after a lot of time, it's worth saying. And um, it also comes after the fact that the stewards in the FIA no longer or did not say to Alonso he had to come in and pit and repair his car during the race. They protested about this and um, they said that he should have been shown the black and orange flag, him being uh, Alonso. And has been protesting about this because, to be fair, they've been sort of hampered or unfairly picked on in some regards when it comes to the black and orange flag and for those who don't know what that means when that is waved by the stewards that means that their car has to come in and repair their car or indeed um, I suppose take it out of the race entirely if it is deemed undrivable. So what do we make then of the situation we have there? We have Alonso beating all the odds, surviving a huge crash, climbing into the point and then having it snatched away after the race.
1: Mm, yeah, I know we're never far away from controversies, are we? Because this was quite a weird penalty. Let's let's face it. Because hmm. after after the Grand Prix on Sunday, you no, know, I sort of said good night, went to bed, and then uh, I woke up to find that well, Alonso had been given a thirty a thirty second penalty. Hmm. For something that the F FIA didn't pick up on during the race. And to be clear, it's not you know, Hass's fault because they're they're sticking by the rules. They present a challenge and they, they go up to the steward and say, Look, we don't think that you have administered the rules in a in a way that is acceptable. And then the stewards look at that and go right okay well we'll we'll review it and in this particular instance they've returned and said alpine ran the car in an unsafe uh condition and as a result they have been you know penalized quite heavily i mean they've yeah. effectively given them the, the the heaviest penalty they really can which Okay, there are two schools of thought. One is it is the driver's and the team's responsibility to manage the the performance of the car and its structural integrity. Drivers don't crash or avoid crashes, and the team also pulls you in if you have a problem with the vehicle. But then the other school of thought is... A team and a driver is never going to penalise themselves. And so it mm. is down to the stewards to ensure that the, the black and orange flag, or as it's colloquially known now, the meatball flag, is, <laughs> is waved to force a team in because they're not going to be penalising themselves. Look at Kevin Magnusson, who has had that poor <laughs> black and orange yeah. meatball flag waved at him. A couple of times now for the same reasons it's the uh front wing end plate which helps direct air amongst other things is is a bit flappy and if it doesn't come off then then they were called in they were and kevin magnuson was called in twice uh, for the same problem and they've said look you know people are running the cars in unsafe conditions as or as unsafe conditions as me and why haven't you done anything? And so the FIFs turned around and said, yeah, well, we agree. Massive penalty. <laughs> and of course, yeah. this runs issues now And because I think, and this is a personal opinion, that those sort of penalties, running a car in an unsafe condition, can only be given during a race. Because my argument, if you get to the end of the race, is... You didn't run the car in an unsafe condition because as you can see from history, there was no safety sort of elements that were particularly compromised and no one got hurt. So the point of these rules are you can't guarantee that, let's say, a a wing mirror wouldn't come off and hit someone. And so you call them in to, to get it fixed just in case. But we now know, because we watched the race, <laughs> that the wing mirror fell off and hit you know, harmlessly into the ground and didn't cause any damage.
0: Mm-hmm, yeah.
1: And so you can't really apply that theoretical circumstance, which is the, the foundation for why you apply the rule, because now we have concrete evidence to suggest they didn't run it in an unsafe way. <laughs> Right? Yeah. Does that yeah, yeah, does exactly. that make sense? Because we are—it's yeah. a—it's a—it's a rule that we apply to stop a theoretical problem. We are in hindsight now, which means we can apply the rule using the, the, the knowledge that we have of the race, and so mm-hmm. to me it seems bizarre. What the I think what the result of the petition from Hash should have been is they went, oh yes, we we established that we have a problem here, in future any circumstance similar to that will definitely be black and orange flag because the, this is the problem. You can't really apply it here because now I expect Alpine to turn around and say, but we didn't run it in an unsafe way because no one was hurt. Our drivers are fine. And look, we did, you know, all right at the end of it mm-hmm. with one of the best drives from Alonso that we've had for ages. And so yeah. I'm a bit, I'm a bit stuck here because I'm a big advocate for rules when it comes to safety but a lot of the rules are there to prevent problems with safety. And there wasn't a problem with the safety here. So I feel like we have to apply it like we would as we do with many things on reflection. Which is that shouldn't have happened. Absolutely. But it has happened and we will do better going forward. And and to be honest I think the FIA had it right with Magnussen where they applied it during the race. But for some reason they just didn't bother with Alonso. Not sure why. But I think the onus here is on the FIA because no team is going to penalise themselves.
0: Exactly, it's ultimately a competitive sport. People want to get the advantage. They want to get points. They want to win. And why on earth they go? Well, fair is fair. That's looking a bit dodgy. Just to be safe, let's retire the car. Um, I understand why hats are a bit miffed. As you say, they were penalised quite unfairly, I think, in Canada when Magnuson was similarly running in the points, and he was told almost immediately that his uh in plate looked slightly sort of wavy in many ways. He had to come in. The flag was flown, and that was that. He was at the points. He went to the very back from memory, and. uh, There was no points to be seen that day. But once again, we're talking about the FAA, the inconsistencies, the confusion they're creating with their rules. And I think this is an example of them being easily swayed and panicking. They've ultimately received this from Haas outside the allotted time, which raises its own questions as well. And gone, oh, blimey, yeah, we really should have done something there. Let's go and lay down the law, smack this down on Alonso and Alpine, say naughty, naughty, and try and deter. Um, anything similar like this happening in the future but if anything I think the reverse has happened they've opened up a few more questions about themselves and why they've made various decisions I mean take for example the fact that Perez had a very similar situation with his end we've seen various other drivers in the past being told you've got to come and pit it's unsafe you've got to go and change that He wasn't. Alonso similarly wasn't as well, but Alonso is retrospectively uh, punished, but Perez isn't. So it raises a few more questions there as well. I think it's one of those where ultimately a driver and a constructor is going to know when a car is unsafe, know when a car is not going to be able to either be racy, do its best or be a danger to others. That's what you see and hear other people or people in the garage, should I say, or paddock go to various drivers stop the car, retire the car, come in, box the box this lap, we're going to retire the car. They're not morons where they're going to go and send their drivers out there in things which are going to go and cause themselves damage, That that is the drivers or other drivers cause them damage or threaten their life as well. So there is a situation there, I think, where if a car is fine, if it is still racy, if it is still in a decent condition, as Alonso's was, I think. There'll be a conversation between the driver and the paddock, and they'll go, "Okay, well, the, dro- the, the the car's still going fine. It's still in a decent condition. We'll carry on. But if it wasn't in said decent condition and wasn't safe, it would have been parked up and retired." So more confusion there from the FAA. I think it also gives the impression that their decisions are malleable; they can be easily swayed if someone comes, sort of, raging and screaming and say, "Hey, this isn't fair." So. Once again, you know, we saw this in Japan, we saw this as well in Singapore, we saw this perhaps as well you could even say at Monza, where the FAA are making some very strange decisions. They're not really being scrutinised for them, and they are dominating conversations like this we have after the race. We'd love to go and talk about how Alonso came back after a huge collision where he essentially did a wheelie and got into P7 and got some valuable points for Alpine in the battle against McLaren. But no, we're talking about how those points were taken away in a whole mist of confusion, really. So, the FIA need to do better moving forwards. I hate to be a, a broken record on this, but they need to go and decide on their rules, make the rules clear and stand by that. And as you say, say, in future, this will be the rule, end of, for various car for various constructors we made a mistake here or we didn't make a mistake, but just make a decision without harking back to the cost cap situation. The whole sort of deal they're trying to strike with Red Bull reminds me similarly of the Saudi Grand Prix where they they tried to go and sort of strike a deal with what the restart grid would look like. I'd, I'd like the FIA just to go and block out all the noise, make a decision and go from there. I'd much rather than do that and get it wrong than sort of try and pander and have a conversation and then we're questioning their credibility again yep absolutely and again it fits
1: into the the bit of a joke that's becoming will be investigated after the race yeah. it's it's really annoying and i feel actually more for our our listeners and the community who have to experience this more than us because we're in europe but going to bed after a race being like oh well that was nice you know i was, I was saying i was i was talking to my family being like oh Fantastic, great, from Vettel, you know, from Vettel and Alonso, two fantastic, you know, drivers, and Alonso especially mm-hmm. having that big crash and, and still being able to get straight back up into the points like nothing had happened. Brilliant. And then I wake up, and it's like, oh, I guess, I guess the hopes and dreams of that have been ruined. Yeah. Because we d- don't want to be investigating this stuff after the race. We don't want to have the potential podium will be. Things need to be sorted out within the allotted time frame. Because it, it's it's ridiculous to have things, and I understand that there may, may be circumstances where perhaps we should um, investigate things after the race because things will take time and things will need to be reviewed and whatnot. But this is pretty you know pretty easy in my mind to to look at right, it's not like Alonso disappeared, he wasn't in camouflage, he drove around that track as many times as everyone else, he was lucky to drive that track around as many times as everyone else, given that Stroll did his best to end his race early, but there's no getting away from the fact that they had plenty of time to look at Alonso's car, and I, and they must have looked at the Alonso's car, this is what also gets me, they must have looked at Alonso's car Because they must have Mm. decided whether or not to give Alonso a penalty. They would have said, well, is he at fault? Is he not at fault? Then they would have seen the battles that we saw with his wing mirrors falling off and, you know, bits of his car flying off. Yeah. I think it probably should have been a black and orange flag. But the fact is, one wasn't waved. Mm. Uh, It's... I mean, it it kind of... Do you remember it's in in Japan? They waved the chequered flag a lap early. Yeah? Oh, they did, yeah. Yep. Now... It would be like let, let's take that example, waving it early, and then, mm-hmm. and every driver then slowing down and coming in and and um, you know, pulling into the pit lane and whatnot. And the FI have been like, oh well, you you breached the rules because you were uh, you came in too early, you stacked up. Every every driver gets a penalty because um, of our mistake. We, uh, you mm. should have actually done another flying lap, by the way, because uh, technically speaking, you didn't finish the race, and then you all got yeah, your got car. You. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> ah, got you there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but we, yeah. we were like, "Well, hold yeah. on a minute. That's an. Ins- that's your decision. This is your choice. You mm-hmm. know, you can't. Ju- it's. It's like it's a technicality. Ah, oh, well, I know we technically didn't wave it to you, but you should have imagined we did. You know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that, that sort of thing. You go, well, hold on a minute. It's your choice. It's you are the stewards at the time making these decisions and i don't know it just it just detracts from what was a you know a really good race and and, it, and the other thing is there were elements that that we should be talking about instead like the fact that when alonso was on two wheels looking like he just pulled a massive wheelie as you said tom the uh, on the straight on the, on the straight, there is a sort of a, a sticky out bit on the left-hand side where the barriers are broken on purpose, which Alonso could have smashed into and really, really damaged himself because he would have been going not into a flat barrier, but into an end of a barrier. Right. Consider those sort of safety points. Go. Actually, that's highlighted a, a bit of an issue here. But no, we're talking about how the FIA have, have inflicted a penalty, which I think is personally a bit unfair. But you you may disagree with me. But, you know, I, I, I would like to hear whether or not the community disagrees with me. I think, roughly speaking, looking at opinion polls... Um, by opinion polls, I mean the general consensus on Twitter. Uh, (laughs) People seem to be... It seems to me like the the general sentiment is Alonso probably shouldn't be punished here. I, I just... And again, Tom, is it... Was it right, the level of penalty he was given as well, as opposed to something like a
0: fine? Yeah, well, that's the thing. I've never seen, unless... One's happened recently and I've just blacked out on this. I've not seen a 30-second penalty be given before. I've seen 20, seen 25, 10, 5, whatever, drive-through penalty, etc. But never a 30. And I think a financial one or a starting grid penalty, maybe for the next Grand Prix, Would have made a bit more sense to go, oh, okay, well, technically you were driving an unsafe car there. We won't take those points away from you because, let's be fair, did an excellent job. But maybe a two-place grid penalty uh, next Grand Prix in Mexico or a fine that will sort you out. But a 30-second just seems really excessive for a mistake that he didn't make. It is a mistake that the FAA have made and they've gone, oh, well, it's not our fault, it's his. And how do we spin that? We'll give him a huge penalty. Massive. Like, I just, it's not like he's literally endangered somebody else by t-boning them and then, you know, walked away from the car and not tried to help them out or something. I mean, it's just remarkable that they've gone this hard after the allotted time, for someone who's essentially done what the sport is all about, and that is overcome adversity, show his ability, and do quite well. So. I do agree with Alonso's statement about what direction the sport wants to go in, because at the moment it seems to be de incentivising excellent hard work. Yep, and it's not over. (laughs) But I should mention for for clarity
1: that this is not over. Um, If if you haven't been keeping up, and I don't blame you, because to be honest, you might, (laughs) some extent, might as well just wait to find out the very end of this what happens. But um, Alpine has lodged a, a sort of a retort to this, and is challenging the decision so on Thursday of of um of this week so on the 27th of October mm. alpine will find out whether or not the the stewards and the FIA will allow them to protest this decision <laughs> and 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 so at that point we will then go to another hearing so this hearing on the 27th is to find out whether or not there can be a hearing in protest <laughs> this is how bureaucratic it is. Um, and if they do go to protest, then they might get this overruled, in which case all the points changed and stuff again. And it just gets so long and so boring going through this. And I think there is one more element to this which kind of frustrates me. is It doesn't give the opportunity for Alonso or Alpine to do anything about it. And in, I get that harsh penalties need to be handed out. But in all cases... You, get, so you usually get to be able to do something about it. In, in a race, if you are given a five-second time penalty, you are able to pull away from the person behind you and overcome that five-second gap to try and retain mm. your position. If you're given a 10-second drive-through penalty or stop-and-go penalty, heaven forbid, you're able to capitalise on other situations, try and do something about it. This gave Alonso no opportunity to do something about it you might say well yeah but he could, can possibly have done something about it and, and that may be true but you don't know you don't know that you don't know what could have happened you know if they give him a penalty um in the race because giving it to him at the end means a 30 second penalty is applied if they had given him a uh a, a meatball flag and he'd ignored it and <laughs> they gave him a a drive-through penalty during the race, then he would have been on fresher tyres and he could have made up some of those positions back. (laughs) Could have been in 12th place as opposed to 15th Mm -hmm. place. The point is, something could have been done. Doing it at the end with no opportunity to defend his positions I think is particularly savage by the FIA because it's Mm -hmm. a slam dunk 30 seconds, no ifs, no buts you're in 15th place in a Mm -hmm. in a race unless you literally get it you know get that sort of penalty on the last lap it's 30 seconds what can you do about it to try and mitigate the problem and Mm -hmm. i think that to me is particularly why i think this is such a difficult decision to for the fia to defend because we've seen lesser penalties for worse i mean I'd personally, I think you know Lance Stroll came off pretty easy from this. He only got a couple of mm. grid place penalties. Then, yeah. why is this not a grid place penalty as well? Because at least in the next race, Alonso can do something about it.
0: Yep, exactly that. Exactly that. If there's a grid place penalty of two, he could easily overcome that because of the race craft quality he showed in a dilapidated car in the last race and as he's shown in the last few years of his career, really. So, shameful, really and we move from Alpine Alonso to Magnussen and Haas congratulations to them Magnussen flew from P13 to P8 it was nearly P7 but then Vettel stole that away literally on the last few corners meanwhile his teammates uh, Mick Schumacher went from P16 to P14 no points for him but irrespective of his poor form Magnussen's points mean that Haas now go up to 8th place for those who listened last episode. We spoke about the battle at the bottom between sort of P8, P9, P7 and um, Haas have got themselves some great momentum there as have Aston Martin as well to their credit. So what are our thoughts now on Kevin Magnussen? The first time he's got points in a fair few races you have to go all the way back to Austria for the last time where he or a Haas driver be that him or uh, Schumacher, got themselves some points in an F1 race this season definitely a surprise definitely a surprise
1: and uh kevin magnuson wow what a race for him because it it, it kind of had um a sort of the feeling of alex albon australia this year when a surprise a gamble a, a stroke of genius some might say um it turned out to be the, per- the perfect move and that stroke of genius was basically doing Circuit of the Americas, a two-stop track on a one set of tyres, <laughs> yeah, with one pit stop, I should say, um, for clarity there, which was brave. He did 38 laps on a set of mediums at Circuit of the Americas, where other other teams, other drivers were, were unable, unable to stretch their tyres that far, and had to do two stops or more, mm. and. Just made up less time. That's it's just that's it. That that's that's um that's how we did it. It's not brilliant, to be honest. It's not like it, it's not <laughs> like it as some daftedly crafty situation. Kevin magnuson just looked at his tires and went, "Yeah, they'll do," and just <laughs> continued to drive. And it, as I say, it kind of felt like Alex Albon in Australia, where he he basically did where well, Alex Albon pit to the last last lap he possibly could, came out and uh, got a point. And Kevin mm-hmm. Magnusson, on the other hand, sort of took that i suppose took that to another level, which was you know quite something and it's it's a shame that it also didn't work out for Schumacher as well because Schumacher had um a, a good opportunity but unfortunately just could not um could not keep his tires um in the same condition and end up being in fourteenth place so unfortunately you know that's a bit of hard luck for Schumacher but Haas actually did say, and Steiner was asked, you know, what why why did Magnussen do well and Schumacher didn't? And Gunst basically turned around and said, well, that's because we had to pit Schumacher and he couldn't really get his tyres to, to last as well. But Magnussen managed to, you know, keep those those tyres going, a bit of a tyre whisperer moment, and <laughs> ending up in eighth place is really, really good, getting four more points for Haas and just solidifying, really, for Haas, why they have him in the team because there is only two points now between Alvatari in ninth place and themselves in eighth place mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so without Kevin Magnussen doing those really, really good performance pieces they would be in ninth place and so you look at you look at Schumacher and you go well, uh, it's a shame that you couldn't also kind of do that because they need these points and the battle for, for eighth place is, is really hotting up and, and again, confirms to me why Magnussen is going to be in the team going forward. Whether or not Schumacher will be by his side is, I guess, yet to be decided. Um, although, you know, he does bring with him a good name and, and a lot of money and things like that. But to be honest, it is Kevin Magnuson who's doing yeah. really, really well and, and pulling out the big punches.
0: It really is the uh, Kevin Magnussen show, isn't it, really? And I've ummed and about Schumacher and his future moving forwards. And the time is running out. And if I were to make a decision now, as I imagine Gunter and Gene Hassar, I don't think he's done enough to stay in the sport because he's crashed a lot, be that in practice qualifying in the race it's cost the team a lot of money let's remember back to Saudi Arabia for example where the cost was so great and the risk was so huge that you didn't even feel the car and yes that's only one example and maybe that's me being a bit harsh but there's been a number of occasions where Schumacher's got close to points and then owing oh, to a mistake by himself he's not been able to execute that compare that to Magnussen for example who we look at this race for example and he's Blown all expectations out the water, he's been very crafty, he's managed the tyres extremely well and gone on to get some really important points because as we say it is so tight at the bottom there between 8th and ninth, for example and when you consider that Haas were nowhere last season it could be a huge difference. When it comes to next season, in terms of whether they do finish in eighth or ninth, now that Urakali has gone with the Mazapins and now they have got another sponsor in, but I'm doubtful with respect to them if they'll be able to plough as much money into the team as Urakali did for this season. But then again, if I were to play devil's advocate, I think that Schumacher falls into the Sonoda camp when we look at Alpha Tauri, for example, of he's not good enough to stay on merit, but there's not anybody else who's going to replace him and do a better job. And I I look at someone like Giovinazzi, for example, I personally don't rate him, but him crashing minutes into his uh, first practice session. You look at someone like Hulkenberg, who was a reserve driver and has not really set the world alight when he's come in for Aston Martin. There's not really anybody else who is going to go and do better than Schumacher, I think. So because of the money, because of the uh, recognition and the brand awareness that Schumacher the name brings and the fact that he does have some quality it may be worth keeping in moving forwards but he's hardly got there a merit in my view he's got there perhaps more on the fact that there is no one better than him to replace him which is a shame because he is a good driver he does have good attributes as Gene has said but in Gene has his own words he's got potential but he's costing us a lot of money really and that's hard to get away from that when you look at the entirety of the season
1: yeah, uh, that's that's very true, and it, to some extent, Hass has if they didn't pick Schumacher, it would be somewhat in a in a bit of a talent deficit, and the the obvious answer is to look into Formula Two, um, mm. although Logan Sargent has been announced for Williams, so clearly uh, there's you know some of the F two uh, fresh blood, for lack of a better phrase, uh, up and coming talent has been snaffled away but then you know there are people like um you know Drogovic f2 champion yeah. but unfortunately mm, he's part of the aston martin driver development program mm-hmm. so the wrong side of the of the driving market but to be honest when has that ever stopped anyone getting into formula one like uh, <laughs> uh, if, if if they went to Drogovic and were like hey do you want to see i can't see him saying no <laughs> but, but yeah. it, it does it would be another gamble and we know how that worked for Haas in in previous years ne- never forget when we had Schumacher and Mazapin together and, and Steiner was against Steiner, the team principal said oh, you know, we've got two very young drivers but we think that's going to be the key to our success and they ended up coming last <laughs> so uh, yeah uh so it's not always true that young talent brings with it you know a, a fresh face and a fresh paint of uh, of good luck but you know it definitely can't help but i think i think we've got to give schumacher another year personally and i i kind of agree with all the sentiments you've said i you know better the devil you know and all that sort of stuff but when when you compare the two drivers you, i just got to I just, I just wonder what could have been. We've got Kevin Magnuson now only three points behind Daniel Ricciardo. Daniel Ricciardo is in 12th and Magnuson in 13th. And given that Daniel is, well, he's, 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 he's not doing great. I, I could see Kevin Magnuson potentially beating Ricciardo. If Ricciardo continues to fail to get any points, you know, Magnuson seems to be able to pick points out. You know, perhaps we're not expecting to. So, yeah, it's it's definitely going to be a a weird um season next year if well we're still talking about it right to the very end out of Schumacher and um well and and any other driver, maybe Drogovic, maybe not. But if you're Gene, I don't think it's too tricky at the moment to keep Schumacher for, you know, all those reasons.
0: Absolutely right, absolutely right. And looking at another team that's been in the news for all the right reasons in terms of this race you've got a team that love the drivers they know but one of the drivers who's doing so well for them sebastian Vettel, is leaving the sport and leaving on a high qualified p10 he finished P7. He was very much duelling at the front for a while and then the last lap as I say he nabbed that 7th place from Kevin Magnussen and I think it's fair to say he's on a bit of a purple patch really. He started off a bit neither here nor there. He wondered whether he was going to do it right and then fade up the sports and not do too well but here he is now P11 in the Drivers' Championship. He's now got a string of three races where he's got back-to-back points going from Singapore to uh, the US. He's got P8, P6 and P7. And looking at how poorly Valdry Bottas now for May is doing, he could even get himself into the top half of the table, which is quite remarkable considering how up and down and volatile Aston Martin's season have been so far. Very volatile. And just when you thought
1: Sebastian Vettel was out, he comes out with a... What, a, what a, an absolutely cracking race! And the only downside of, of it was of um, Aston Martin's excellent performance, and specifically Sebastian Vettel's excellent performance. Was it took away points from Kevin Magnussen? Yeah. Um, but it it gave us some fantastic racing. And don't just take it from me; take it from Magnussen, who said, and I am quoting here: "Vettel battles some of the best racing I've ever been involved with." Wow. Racing against him, it doesn't just feel like it's the end of his career. Just great driving from him, but of course, I'm annoyed with myself that I lost on the last lap. But still, good points for us. So, you know, clearly from from Kevin Magnussen's side, you know, he, he was obviously upset that he didn't get points, but absolutely fantastic to to watch this racing. And to me, it was just it just reminded me of watching Sebastian Vettel at his pinnacle. Just for whatever reason. <laughs> everything was switched on we we saw a younger sebastian vettel at 2013 2014 sebastian vettel who wow he just had the his his talent at his peak and it was lovely it really was lovely and it reminded me why i like to to <laughs> I, you know i was uh so annoyed with sebastian vettel um back in those days because he was pretty dominant and of course you know we'd, we'd always like to root for the underdog and so Looking at Sebastian Vettel now, it's a shame, of course, looking at that one race that he's going at the end of the season. But we can't let it cloud our judgment. That's the only, my only own caveat to that is it can't let us cloud our judgment. And he's got to make way for, for new talent, up and coming talent. And I hope he can do, um, you know, still be in the sport from from the sidelines and influencing in a way that other drivers like, you know, Nicky Lauda used to for, for Mercedes. But my goodness, if there was ever an argument to keep him in the sport, that that was one of them. Pure, pure driving class from a four-time world champion. You know, there's a reason why he's in our our intro to this mm-hmm. podcast.
0: Absolutely, and it's got to the position now where, owing to his racing ability, owing to the points he's getting week in week out with one or two exceptions, I'd be really disappointed if Aston Martin don't get P6 in the constructors' championship because, similar to has they've got one driver doing a lot of the leg work. Be that recently. Alfa Romeo, I think it's worth saying, have been on an awful, awful, awful run of form. It started off so well and then it got to the point of the British Grand Prix and it's gone horribly wrong since then. For context, they have only scored one point. This is both Alfa Romeo drivers. This is the team, this is the constructors. They have scored one point in 10 races. I mean, they're one point now ahead of Aston Martin. It's gone horribly, horribly wrong for them, and it's a shame, really, but credit to Aston Martin, credit to Sebastian Vettel for pulling the team up by their bootstraps and getting them into P6, and it's a shame, really, that Alonso is going to be the one benefiting from this versus Vettel, but... The whole ambition of Aston Martin being a proper, formidable team moving forwards that could challenge Alpha Romeo and Dare even, say, McLaren moving forwards is looking a lot more credible when you consider the amount of money they could be getting for P6, in addition to what is being created off track in terms of uh, the development there as well. So congratulations to Vettel, but what earth is happening to Alpha Romeo? Well, I
1: mean, that's a, that's a real strange one isn't it the afro situation and and one that we'll cover once we have got some more fixed um information towards the end of the end of the season but for a, for a team that has been you know flying or was flying in the first half of the season has just been the collections of well let's face it for after um no after canada their points tally looks more like a, a series of of computer binary code than uh, <laughs> actual points. It's just zeros and ones, and even then, it's mostly zeros. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it's a real shame. And, and to be honest, it, it, we had Bottas who spun out and and said that oh it's my fault. Um, and well, where's Yu Zhou? Mm. Uh, where was he in the race, Tom? Did you remember? Did you see him? Um, did you remember not him? Not really. He, he
0: retired, didn't he? Oh no, P eleven. P11? Yeah, P11. Yeah, he was neither here nor there. The fact that I can't even remember where it was, whether he's on the track, sort of says everything, doesn't it really? And it seems that's all we got time for in terms of episode 35 of F1 In Review. Thank you very much for listening towards the end of this one. Be that on your preferred podcast provider, your Apple, your Spotify, your PodFollows, all of those. Or be that via River Radio, be that live, or via the listen back feature. As I've hinted at there, the Mexico Grand Prix is up next this weekend in terms of watching qualifying if we're in the UK this is firstly on Saturday and a later time but not as late as the US a 9pm start for the UK viewers or listeners and going on to the race day that being Sunday this being a slightly earlier 8pm start that's once again for our British viewers and listeners there if you want to go and listen or view qualifying or the race from wherever you are do look it up and uh, quick google will show you the answers a reminder as well you can find Follow us on uh, Twitter as well, f one in review, all one word obviously, no hyphens, no dashes, no nothing. So thank you very much for listening and we'll be back next week to discuss the Mexican Grand Prix, the home race for Sergio Perez and the fallouts for good or for ill from that one. Until next time, thank you very much for listening and goodbye.